Uh, we, we start today 21 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, if you're new to the life of our church, uh, every year we, uh, or twice a year, every year, we spend a, a portion of our time in prayer. Uh, and uh, in August, we do 21 days of prayer. In January, we do 21 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, and if you're unfamiliar with what fasting is, I would invite you to go to our website. We have a 21 Days of Prayer uh, page uh, that's got all kinds of resources on what, uh, what kinds of fasts there are, what should I fast, uh, all the different things. Uh, there's also a prayer booklet there uh, that you, that's available for download for you. Uh, we want you to go and participate uh, with us in this. Uh, every day from uh, starting tomorrow all the way till the 27th, we will have a time of prayer at noon right here in the building. And I realize that for many of you, you can't get away from work uh, during your lunch hour to just come up to Stone Oak and, and have uh, a prayer time. But what we are asking is that all of us would commit and be a part of praying during the lunch hour. Uh, that wherever you're at, whether you're at home uh, feeding your little kids or uh, uh, running kids from school or whatever, uh, that you would just take a moment and uh, an hour and just pray and commit that time. And then we're asking you to fast as well. Um, and uh, I was reminded yesterday, we came for prayer and Pastor Glenn was sharing with us and he was talking about uh, how fasting, oftentimes when we think of it, we think about the loss, right? That when you fast, you lose something. You lose uh, some favorite food that you have or maybe all of your solid foods or maybe uh, you, you lose your uh, entertainment or Facebook or whatever it is that you're removing from your life. And, and our mindset is to remove and he reminded us that really fasting is about what we gain, that we gain a new perspective uh, on our relationship with God, that, that fasting is really addition, it's not subtraction. But we add into our day a time with the Lord in which uh, we get to understand more about our relationship with God, we get to press into that relationship. And, uh, and so I just wanna encourage you and invite you to be a part of that with us. Uh, we're going into a series uh, that's uh, a, quite, a, quite a long series, actually, but it's, it has to do with that premise that, that when we fast, we realize that maybe there are some things in our life uh, that have kind of been hanging on, some things in our life that, uh, that we're, we're faced with this reality that uh, we continue to struggle year after year uh, with something in our life, with a hurt in our life, a, a pain or uh, a habit that we have. And I don't know about you, but I get kind of sick of uh, New Year's, right? Uh, every year we come around and I, and I start thinking to myself, okay, this is the year that I'm going to add this into my life, or this is the year I'm going to remove this from my life. And, uh, and I always get about, you know, three days into it. And uh, and inevitably, I, I don't do the thing that I want to do, and I, and I do the thing that I don't want to do. Sounds a little familiar, right? And so for us, 21 days of prayer is really a, a tithe of our time and a tithe of our focus to be able to say, God, I'm going to commit this to you, and I want you to remind me of the things that, uh, that I need to address in my life. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, in the coming weeks. There, there was a, a a father who was trying to take a nap on a Sunday afternoon. I don't know if you've ever had a Sunday afternoon nap before. Every now and then I'll get one, and they're the best, honestly. They, uh, you can take a nap on a Saturday afternoon, but it's not a Sunday afternoon nap. 
Sunday afternoons are the best. And if you've never tried it, you should try it. Uh, but he's taking a Sunday afternoon nap, and uh, his, his boy, his little boy comes up to him and, and kind of tugs on him and says, Dad, I'm bored. Which in our home, uh, if one of our children say, uh, says that they're bored, uh, is an open invitation to do dishes uh, at our house. And so if you're bored, we, I got something for you to do. Uh, but he says, Dad, I'm bored, and the, the dad wants to take a nap. And, uh, and so he comes up with this brilliant idea. He sees the newspaper, and, uh, and on the newspaper is a picture of the world, the globe. And so he tears up the newspaper into 50 different pieces, grabs some tape, hands it to his son and says, it's a puzzle. And, and now you need to put it together. And when you're done putting it together, then come talk to me. And he thought, for sure, I bought myself an hour and a half, two hour nap. Well, about 15 minutes goes by and the son comes up to him and says, dad, I'm done. And he says, what? You gotta be kidding me. Like, how, how did you figure it out? He's like, I know that my son didn't know any of the positions of the countries or anything like that. He's like, how did you do it? And he said, Dad, there was a picture of a person on the other side of the newspaper. And when I got my person to get together, put together, the world looked just fine. And so that's what we're going to talk about for the next eight weeks. We're starting a series called Freedom, and it's going to work on your person. It's amazing how much better the world looks when our person is put together in the right way. Now, this series is uh, really based upon a book called Life's Healing Choices. And, uh, and for us, we're going to, you know, we're, we're really performing. Um, uh, most of my pastor friends would say, I'm crazy for doing an eight-week series. Uh, that you just don't do that. Like, you just don't spend eight weeks over on the same topics because uh, that, uh, that's what gets people bored. And so instead, what you do is you, you have a four-week series, and then you change it up and change the backdrop and all of this stuff, and you just keep everything fresh and new and stuff. And, but eight weeks, like they, they're like, you're crazy. That's nuts. And it is a little nuts. But I'm asking for eight weeks of your life that I think can make a huge, no, I know can make a huge impact in your life. Uh, see, we all, in this series, we, we're talking about how to handle and overcome hurts in our life. Uh, we're talking about habits uh, that are messing up our life and, uh, and the hang-ups that have caused pain in our lives. So over these next eight weeks, you're going to hear the phrase, hurts, habits, and hang-ups a lot. Uh, the theme verse uh, for this series is from Isaiah chapter 57, verse 18, and and this is God speaking. He says, I've seen how they acted, but I will heal them. I will lead them and help them. And I will comfort those who mourn. I offer peace to all who are near and far. And that's the great promise of God right there. That in that verse, there are, there are five things that, that are discussed in there. And those are really the five parts to recover, towards recovery, towards freedom. See, we titled the, uh, the, the name of the series Freedom because I knew that if I put recovery as the title of the sermon series, half of the room, maybe more than half of the room would say, oh, I get the next eight weeks off of, uh, of church. I don't, I don't need recovery in my life. But what I think you'll find as we go on this morning is, is that we all, need recovery. Because this promise of God says that 
If you have been hurt, God says, I want to heal you. If you're confused, he says, I, I want to lead you. If you've ever felt that you were helpless to change anything in your life, God says, I want to help you change that. If you've ever felt no one understands your problem, God would say to you, I want to comfort you. If you've ever felt anxious or worried or afraid, God says in his word, he says, I want to offer peace to you. And so this series, if, if you'll stick with it, because here's, here's the honest truth, and I don't mean this as any sort of condemnation, it's just the reality of the world that we live in, is that, uh, that on average, and we're a little bit higher, I think, a little above average, uh, which you should, we should all feel good about ourselves, we're above average. Uh, but we're a little bit above average, but the national average is uh, that people go to church 1.8 times a month. Uh, I think we're about 2, 2.4 times a month. And, and so if that's all we attend church for the next eight weeks is 2.4 times a month, you're going to miss half of this. And, and I don't mean that as, as some condemnation or guilt or anything along those lines, and this isn't really about like some series in order to get everybody in the same room for eight weeks to boost our numbers or anything along those lines. This is about what God wants to do in the life of our church and ultimately in the life of us individually. That I'm asking for eight weeks, and I get it. I know that we've got uh, you know tournaments, sports tournaments for our kids, and we've got uh, travel for business and being out of town and all of this different stuff. I, I get that, and I know that eight weeks is a lot to ask to commit every Sunday to. So I would just ask that if you have to miss a Sunday, would you commit to maybe going on iTunes and listening to the podcast? Would you commit to going onto our website and watching uh, the video? If you can't listen, if you have to see, then you can, uh, you can go online and, and watch the, the week that you missed. Because if you can commit to eight weeks to this series, I think God's, no, I know God's going to do something in your life. Because life is tough. That's the reality. We live in an imperfect world. We live in a world where we're hurt by other people. And because we're hurt by other people, oftentimes what happens is, and you've probably heard this saying before, that hurting, hurting people hurt people. And so if you've ever been hurt by someone, chances are because of the hurt that you've experienced, you may have then hurt someone else. None of us are perfect. In fact, the Bible says that, uh, that all have sinned and fallen short. So none of us are perfect. We've, we've all blown it. We've all made, mistake, made mistakes. We've hurt and we have been hurt by others. So this series is really for everybody. For everyone in this room, like if you're here and you're listening to me speak, you're thinking, I don't, I don't know if this one's going to be for me. It, it really is for you. All of us need some sort of recovery and to experience freedom from the things of our life. Unless, of course, you've lived a perfect life. And if that's the case, if you've lived a perfect life, then you get to preach next week. But if you haven't lived a perfect life, if you've ever been hurt, if you've ever had a, a habit that, man, you just like, this is the year I'm going to get rid of that habit in my life, or if you've had a hang-up, then, then you need recovery. You need freedom from whatever that is. 
You say, well, what do I need recovery from? And I've just got a, a massive list for you, and I'll just read them off, but this isn't, uh, this isn't the end of the list. This is just some of the things. Maybe you need recovery from overworking or overeating or alcohol or overspending or grief or guilt or anger or rage. Maybe the thing that you need recovery from is fear or anxiety or divorce or abuse or sexual addiction, or codependency. How about insecurity? Maybe that's your thing. Maybe perfectionism or hypochondria. Maybe hurtful relationships. Maybe lying. Maybe procrastination. Maybe the need to control. The good news, though, in this series is that no matter what the problem is, no matter what it is that maybe we need recovery from, whether it's emotional, financial, relational, spiritual, sexual, whatever the case, regardless of what we need recovery from, the steps to recovery are always the same. They're always the same. The principles for recovery are actually found in the Bible. I don't know if you know this or not. Uh, in fact, it's the original recovery manual. In 1935, a couple of guys uh, formulated, based upon the scriptures, they took the scriptures and they formulated what's now known as the classic 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, you may be familiar, you may not know what the 12 steps are, but you probably have heard of 12-step programs or uh, you've heard of Alcoholics Anonymous. And these 12 steps have actually been used by hundreds of different kinds of groups in fact, 20 million Americans are in recovery in a recovery group every week, and there are 500,000 different recovery groups. And the basis of all of those is God's word. Now, these principles of recovery, these 12 steps, whatever, really can be summarized around the word that is recovery. And each week, what we're going to do is we're going to take uh, out of that uh, uh, out of that word, we're going to identify a word for each of those letters, and we're going to address each of them over the eight weeks. Now, again, I, I just I want I want you to to hear me because I, I'm I'm like you. I uh, if if you're like me at all, you hear the word recovery, you hear that list of stuff, and you're thinking, I'm good. I don't need it. And and if that's you, if you have found yourself saying. I don't need this in my life. You probably need it more than you think that you do. And so we're going to go through it. We're going to go through these steps. The first step we're going to address today, and uh, it's summarized in, in the letter R. It stands for, and this is in your notes, it stands for realize. And then there's a little blank there, and I want you to fill in the blank. It says, I'm going to realize that I'm not God. In fact, I'm going to admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do wrong things and my life is unmanageable. Now, don't leave yet. Because when I read that statement as I was preparing uh, the message, I, I read that statement and I was like, I don't think so. I don't think I agree with that. I, I don't, no. I, I'm not powerless to control my tendency to do wrong things. I get to choose whether or not I shoot someone. 
I'm not going to say, oh, I was powerless to control my tendency to murder somebody. And so when I read it, I was like, I don't, know if, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, that's not really what it's talking about. And so I want to just read some of this off to you. And, I, and then we're going to come back to that statement because I don't want you to check out and think, I don't agree with that. And so therefore, nothing he says this morning is going to be for me. Let me just ask you this question. Have you ever stayed up late when you know that you need sleep? You ever, you ever eat or drink more calories than your body needs while you're staying up late? <laughs> you ever feel you ought to exercise but you don't? Like every day? I admitted at first service that I, I have my tennis shoes and my workout clothes in, in the backseat of my car. And I have like this, the most amazing deal, I have this open invitation to go to CrossFit. And, uh, and every day, I, I, I put it in there, I'm like, today's the day. 4.30 today, I'm going to work out. And then I don't, and I leave them in my car. And my wife's like, why do you leave that stuff in your car? I'm like, because today is the day. 4.30 today. Do you ever know something is wrong, but you do it anyways? Do you ever know the right thing to do, but you don't do it? Have you ever known that you should be unselfish in a situation, but you end up being selfish instead? Have you ever tried to control somebody or something and found that it was uncontrollable? Don't say anything, husbands. Don't say it. Because if your answer is yes to any of those questions, then here's the big point of today. You are a human being. You are human. And we're all need, we, we all need recovery in some form. Because we have a problem. And the problem and the cause of our problem is, and this is in your notes, is my sin nature. The Bible has a word for this. The Bible calls that tendency that we have my sin nature. And my sin nature gets me in all kinds of problems. And it probably gets you in all kinds of problems. I do things that aren't good for me. And I do them even when they are self-destructive. And I don't do the things that are good for me. I respond the wrong way when I'm hurt. And what happens is, is I just increase the hurt rather than lessening it. I react the wrong way to people. When people treat me a certain way, I react in a wrong way. And then it backfires. And then I know that I'm just in a whole deeper hole than from before. I try to fix problems. I'm a fixer. That's why I became a pastor. Fix people. And what happens is, is I try to fix people, and when, they, when they're worse than when I started, it breeds all kinds of insecurity and pain, and, and I realize that maybe I can't fix anybody, but only the Holy Spirit can fix people. Proverbs 14 says, there's a way that seems right to man, uh, but it ends in death. You'll always have this sin nature with you, this desire, uh, this tendency, if you will, to do the things that you don't want to do. Even when you become a Christian, now, 
it does talk about, Scripture does talk about the old being dead and the new being life, and I get all that, but there are, there's a whole group of people that would say, well, once you become a Christian, you never have temptation towards anything that would be wrong. And I would just ask you, is that true of your life? You love God, I love, I love my heavenly Father, and, but I would be lying if I didn't say at times there's temptation in my life. See, Paul understood this in, in Romans chapter seven. He says, I don't understand myself at all. I really want to do what's right, but I can't. I, I do what I don't want to do. I do the thing that I hate. I know perfectly well that what I'm doing is wrong, but I can't help myself. It's the sin inside me that's stronger than I am, and it makes me do these evil things. Does any of this sound at all like vaguely familiar to you? I end up doing what I don't want to do and end up not doing what I want to do. Every January, this is the reality of my life. That I end up not doing the things that I want to in that year, and doing the things that I'm trying to get rid of. See, the first step to freedom is, is that we have to understand the cause of our problem. We have to understand, why does this happen in my life? We have to understand the cause of it, but then we also have to understand the consequences of it. We need to know what is going to happen if we allow this to continue in our life. And then, of course, we want to know the cure, right? That's why we're here. We want hope. We want, like, does it have to be this way for the rest of my life? And the answer is no. So what's the cause of our problem? The cause of our problem is this. I want to be like God, and so do you. Right? I want to decide what's right and wrong for my life. Maybe we say, I don't want anybody telling me what's right and what's wrong. I want to decide what's right and what's wrong. I want to call my own shots. I want to determine my own rules. I want to put myself at the center of the universe and that everything revolves around me. I want to be my own boss. I want to live my way. It's called playing God. And what it says is, I want control. And what's scary about all of this is the more insecure you are, the more driven to control you become. The more insecure you are, you you want to control yourself. You want to control other people. You want to control your environment. You're driven to this. And it's called playing God. It's not just us or me in this case. This has been around a long, long, long time. It's really the problem of the Garden of Eden. Right? I mean, Adam and Eve, they're placed into paradise in, in the most perfect of environments, and there's just this one tree, this one situation where God says, you can have paradise, you can have the whole thing, just not that. And so what do Adam and Eve do? Beeline it to that. Right? We're the same thing as a kid. Listen, you can have your whole playground. I just don't want you to touch the DVD player or the Apple TV. We don't use DVD players anymore. The Apple TV. Just don't touch that. You can have anything you want. Just don't touch that. What do they do? I'm going to touch the Apple TV. Ironically called 
Apple TV. <laughs> they beeline it to the one thing that they can't have. The problem has been around from the very start, and the devil actually tempts them by saying, oh, and by the way, you can become gods. Feeding our need to want to be God, to want to call the shots. So we want to be in control. So how do we play God? And this is in your notes. We, we play God by denying our humanity and by trying to control everything for selfish reasons. I want to be at the center of my universe, and control is the real issue here. So what do we try to control? Well, this isn't in your notes, but if you want to write these down, uh, write, write these down. You can, the first is that we try to control our image. We want to control what other people think of us. Right? We don't want other people to know what our life is really like. And so we play games, we wear masks, we pretend, we fake it. We want people to see a certain side of us and hide the other parts. It's called Facebook. Right? Nobody puts their junk on Facebook. No, nobody, nobody's putting on there, oh, I failed in this area. No, we only put the things that we want people to know about us on Facebook. And oftentimes, it's not even the things that are real, right? It's like, oh, uh, you know, like uh, if somebody takes a selfie and you think somebody's taking their picture, but it's really them just with a selfie stick taking their picture, like, of themselves. And, and so we always put the best. Like, all my friends think our church is like, the perfect church, because I never put all your problems on Facebook. I only put the good stuff. And everybody is like, man, you have the most amazing church. Of course I do. Because I only want people to know the good. See, we're afraid. We, we want to control our image. We're afraid that people might just find out who I really am. I'm not angry, I'm not upset, I'm not worried, I'm not afraid. And the question is, is why? Why am I afraid to tell people who I am? In fact, that's, that's the title of a book, Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am? And the answer is, is if I tell you who I really am and you don't like it, I'm stuck with who I am. So we try to hide it, and we try to control our image. The second thing we try to control is other people. Right? Parents, you try to control your kids. Certainly your kids try to control you. Our kids do. They try to pit Kelly and I against each other. She'll say no. The other one will come to me. I'll say yes, and then, then we pit each other. You know, we just It's bad. Uh, husbands, you... You try to control your wives. Wives, you try to control your husband. Again, this is a rhetorical. Don't say anything. It will ruin your day. There's office politics at work. Countries try to control other countries. We use a lot of tools of manipulation towards one another just to control them. We use guilt. We use fear. We use even praise. Some use the silent treatment to control. We try to control people. 
The third thing that we try to control is uh, our problems. We're really good at this. We use phrases like, I can handle it. It's not really a problem. Anytime you find yourself saying, it's not really a problem, that's playing God. When we say, I can handle it, I'm okay, I can stop anytime I want, you might be slipping into a God scenario. We control our problems. How many of you ever said, I don't need any help, I especially don't need any counseling. I'll work it out on my own. And the more we try to fix our problems, what happens is the worse our problems get. Number four, we try to control our pain. Have you ever thought how much time we spend running from pain, trying to avoid it, deny it, escape it, reduce it, postpone it? Sometimes we try to postpone our pain by eating or not eating. We postpone our pain by getting drunk, some even to the extreme of taking drugs. We postpone our pain by getting in and out of relationships. You get into this relationship thinking this person's going to take my pain away, only to find out that they just contribute to your pain. So you leave that relationship, go find another relationship, and you begin this cycle where you're realizing that everywhere you go, there is pain, and maybe the problem isn't the relationships as much as it is the root of where that pain is coming from. We develop some kind of compulsive habit to control our pain. We become abusive. We get angry with people. We're critical of others. If you've ever found yourself super judgmental about something, it's It's probably you just trying to postpone pain in your life or control the pain in your life. We get depressed. There's all kinds of ways in which we try to control our pain. And pain comes when we realize in our quiet moments, we come to the conclusion and the reality that we are not God and that we can't actually control everything. And it scares us to death. So the first step to recovery is realizing that we're not God and that we're not going to get well. We're not going to be able to deal with the hurts, the habits, and the hang-ups in our life on our own. Think about it. If, if you could, if you could overcome the things in your life that you no longer want to do, if, that, if you could just will them away in your life, you would have already done it by now. There's a reason it's not working, and it's because it requires people in our life. Let's take a look at the consequences of playing God. There's four problems, this is in your notes, that always happen when we try to play God. The first is fear. When I try to control everything, I get afraid. In fact, Adam, after his uh, little tree scenario, uh, Scripture says that he was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. We are afraid that somebody is going to find out who we really are. Somebody's going to find out that we're fake, we're phony, that we really don't have it all together. So we don't let anybody close to us because 
they might find out that I'm scared inside. And so we fake it. We pretend, we fill our lives, uh, we pretend and then we fill our lives with fear that somebody might find out and reject us. That they wouldn't love us. That they only like an image of me. Maybe you have felt that way even coming here on a Sunday morning that, that you have a persona and a perspective that you're okay with people knowing about you, but you also are afraid that one day somebody's going to read your mail and find out who you really are. The second thing that the consequence of playing God is frustration. Because honestly, it's just frustrating being the general manager of the universe, you know? It's hard work. And I don't know if you know this, but you can actually experience hell on earth. Did you know this? It's, you probably know it, but didn't know that you know it. But you can experience hell on earth. It's called Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> or Incredible Pizza. Either one of those things, hell on earth. And you say, come on. You know how I know it's hell on earth? Because the Bible talks about hell and says that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And both of those happen whenever I go to Chuck E. Cheese or Incredible Pizza. There's crying involved. There's gnashing of teeth. It's a horrible, horrible experience. That's my hell on earth, honestly. People say, oh, it's going to be hot and all of this. No, it's just going to be, there's going to be bad pizza and kids running around like crazy playing dumb games that you're paying thousands of dollars for. Anyways, so... There's this game. When I was a kid and I got to go to Chuck E. Cheese, there was this game that my mom loved. And I don't think my mom's here this morning. She's out of town. But my mom loved this game. And uh, the, the premise of the game was that you had this big mallet in your hand. Uh, and depending on the kind of game, all kind of variances of it, but all the premise was the same. Uh, but when I was a kid, it was a, a, called whack-a-mole. And so the, the mole would come up and you'd whack the mole. Right, and you'd hit it over the head, and then another mole would come up, and uh, and there was no way to win the game. You're here, you are. You're plugging hundreds of dollars into a game to get tickets to buy something you could have bought at the dollar store, and you're just pounding. And she would bring me over, and she, I don't want to say this out loud, but she would cheat at the game, and and she would say, "I got this half, you got this half. Just hit it with your hand, right?" And, uh, and so you hit it, but you could never win the game. You couldn't because you, you could get a high score, you do whatever, but the moles would always keep popping up. And that is our life. We whack down one compulsion and another one pops up. We whack down one problem and another one comes up. One relational conflict and another one seems to rise up. And it's frustrating because we can't get all of it knocked out at the same time. But we walk around and we're pretending that we're God. I'm powerful. I can handle it. And if we were so powerful, then why don't we just walk over and, and unplug the machine? It's frustrating. 
Paul realizes this. It, it seems to be a fact of life, he says, that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what's wrong. Something else deep within me, the war with my, my mind that wins the fight and, and, become, and makes me a slave to sin. David understood this when he says, my dishonesty made me miserable and filled my days with frustration. If you're frustrated, it's a, a symptom of a deeper problem that you've not yet dealt with. The root issue, that you're not God, that you're trying to control everything and it just, it doesn't work. So there's fear, there's frustration, and, and then there's fatigue. It's, it's tiring to play God. It's trying, it's, it's tiring to control everything or try to control everything, pretending that we've got it all together. Denial takes a lot of energy. In Psalm 32, David says, my strength evaporated like water on a sunny day until I finally admitted all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide them. See, most of us, we try to, we try to hide our pain, run from our pain by keeping busy with life. I don't like the way that I feel when I slow down. I don't like the sounds that go through my head when I put my head on the pillow at night. And so I think I'll just keep busy. And so you continue to run from your pain by constantly being on the go. Now, I'll confess something to you that uh, as I've uh, been going through this and reading through the book that and looking at what it is that God wants to do in my life uh, in 2018 and the areas in which I need recovery is in this area in particular, in this area that, uh, where I'm just going all the time. And it's not so much that the going is the problem or the work ethic or any of those things, but it's, it's the root for why I'm going all the time. See, I have this fear in my life that, uh, and I've had it really, I've come to understand that I've had it now for 10 years, that on a, and honestly, this is kind of how sick it is, it's, uh, it's become a nightmare of mine, uh, a, a night terror of mine, and you'll laugh when you hear it, but it's really not all that funny, is that on one Sunday, I will show up here to the building and no one else will. Like, that's, that's my fear. And you're like, that's ridiculous. Like, it's not if you're a pastor. Like, that is my fear. That one day I'll show up and it'll be me and my wife and my kids because they have to come. <laughs> and, and no one else will be here. And so I started thinking about them. I'm like, well, why, why do I even care about that? This, this isn't my church. This is God's church. And I realized that, no, I think at times, that this is my church. And I, and I try to control everything about everything that we do because if I could control it, then people will show up magically. And so what happens is I keep myself busy and going and going and doing and doing because if I ever stop that fear that maybe people will stop showing up will re-enter into my mind. And ultimately, I end up finding myself playing God. And, and even worse, not trusting God. And I don't know if it's worse. It's probably equally as bad. 
but not trusting God with his church. And so I say all of that to say, and, and my fear of even sharing that is like, um, some of you will think, that's horrible. <laughs> like, we have a pastor who doesn't trust God, and he's leading us. Uh, there's also the fear that some of you will be like, if that's the worst of your problems, um, then you have no idea what I'm going through. But I'm, I just would remind you that our road to recovery is all the same, no matter what it is that is our hurt, hang up, and our habits. That when we all begin to realize that we're not God, that's the first step towards God doing something in our life and bringing us to a place of freedom. You can get involved with religious activities, church activity, and even that can hide your pain. It brings us to a place of fatigue. That when we put our heads on our pillow at night, we're reminded of the lies of the enemy and, it, and the fear drives us to control, drives us to push off our pain, drives us to run. If you're in a constant state of fatigue, if you're always worn out, you have to ask yourself, what pain am I running from? What, what problem do I, I not want to face up to that motivates and drives me to work and work so that I'm in a constant state of fatigue? The fourth thing is, and this ultimately fatigue leads to this, is failure. That when you, when you try to play God, that's one job description that you are going to fail at every single time. Proverbs 28, 13 says, you'll never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins. Instead, confess them, give them up, and then God will show mercy on you. In other words, we have to be honest. We have to be open about our weakness, about our faults, about our, our failures, at LifeHouse, about six years ago, five and a half, six years ago, we, we spent an enormous amount of time really focusing on who it is that God was creating LifeHouse to become, the church LifeHouse. And we really were committed to becoming this safe place where people could be uh, real with one another. In fact, it, was a part of, it is a part of our mission statement that we're about connecting people to real love, real life, and real family. And our hope was, and the desire as we went through this process, was to create this safe place in which everyone that walks through our doors and everyone that sits in these seats would have a place in which they could be real with one another. That they could be transparent and authentic with each other. That we wouldn't be blown away by judgment. We came up with these two words, wholeness and family, and we said that's really what we're about, that if we're going to be a place of wholeness and we are going to be a place of family, then guess what? We have to be able to be real with one another. There's not a person in this room that has it all together. We're all weak in, in different areas, and we need each other. Many times uh, others see things in us that we can't even see and vice versa. And we want to develop an atmosphere where we can be honest with one another. 
that we could be honest with, with God. Now, if you hear that and, you, and you've heard all of this and you're thinking, well, man, Ryan, that's great for us as a church and I hope we get there someday, but, but my problem is not that bad. If that's you, what you're describing when you say, my problem is not that bad, is you are describing denial. Like, how bad does it have to get before we would admit that we need some help? How bad does the hurt that that relationship or that pain has caused, that problem in our life, that memory that we have from the past, how bad does it have to get before we would be willing to admit, I need some people in my life and I need God to rescue me from this. Because unfortunately, it's human behavior. It's it's in our human nature that we never change until our pain becomes so intolerable that we have to change. We don't change when we see the light. We change when we feel the heat and our marriage starts falling apart or our kids start going sideways on us or we get the phone call in the middle of the night. Could I just encourage all of us as a church to save yourself some pain and start early in the recovery process? One man said, it happened to me when the acid of my pain finally ate through the wall of my denial. See, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone into our lives. Let's let that motivate us. Let's let that be the thing that to to face the issue that we've been ignoring for 10 or 20 or 30 years. How, How is your pain level this morning? Because if you're feeling pain today, it's a warning light to you begin this process. The other way that we can react to to this kind of a series or this message is is not to say that, well, that's just not really for me, but to say that's fine. But we take this American cultural uh, statement, and it's honestly, it's even on steroids in Texas where we say, I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. It's to say, okay, fine, yeah, I understand that maybe I have some problems or I have some pain or some hurts and habits and hang-ups in my life, but, but you know what? The series on recovery, that's for everybody else. I can do this on my own. And the definition of that is also called denial. Unless you've had a perfect life, there's some things that you need to deal with And when we say, I can handle my problem, I can take care of it, the truth is, is that if you could, you already would. If you could have handled the problem, it wouldn't be a problem any longer. But you can't. And so you have a choice. Do I put myself in a position to be vulnerable and real with other people? Do I surround myself with people 
or not deal with it at all. Adam and Eve had this same problem. They ran and they hid behind the bush. God had made them, God had made the bush that they were hiding from God. Like, that's dumb. Right? I mean, he made them, he made the bush, but I'm going to hide behind the thing that you made in order for you not to find me. Whenever you talk to someone and you say, well, have you ever talked to God about the issues in your life, the problems and the pain and the hurt and the habits that you have? And I'm not going to talk to God about it. I don't want him to know my problems. He already knows. Like, he made you. But there's something unique about us willing to admit and to confess and to be able to say, you know what? I'm going to humble myself before my creator and say, I don't have it all figured out. Here's the cure. This is what you're hoping for, I think. The first step in this process is to admit to my powerlessness The Bible says that in admitting my weakness, I find strength. And again, it's not a popular idea in our self-sufficient culture. We live, our church is located in a self-sufficient culture. And there's nothing wrong with being self-sufficient except for the fact that when it applies to our spiritual life. See, Many people are self-made. I'm, I'm a self-made business person. I'm a self-made this. I, everything that I have is because I worked hard and I got it. And, and I would just remind us that when we live in that kind of a culture, it's dangerous. That there's a humility that comes from saying, yeah, I may be able to figure out this world thing, but I'm not God. And I need to humble myself before him. Admitting that I'm not God means I recognize Three important things about my life. And and here's the thing is maturity comes when you recognize these three things. The first is that I admit that I am powerless to change my past. That it hurt, I still remember it, but all the resentment in the world isn't going to change it. Number two, I admit that I'm powerless to control other people. I try. I like to manipulate people. I use all kinds of tactics like guilt and shame and praise and all of these, but it doesn't work. I'm responsible for my actions, not theirs. I can't control other people. And number three, I admit that I'm powerless to cope with my harmful habits, behaviors, and actions on my own. Good intentions are not enough. How many times have you come to the first week of January and thought to yourself, this is the year This is the time, 2018, baby. Last year was 2017, baby. The year before that was 2016, baby. And every time we try and we fail because willpower is not enough. You need something more than willpower in your life. You need a source of power beyond yourself. You need God. And he made you to need him. James 4, 6 says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The word grace is a a pretty interesting word. In fact, uh, at the beginning of service, we sang a song, this is amazing grace. 
You ever wonder what that word means? Grace means the power that God gives us to make the changes in my life that I want and that he wants for me. It's the power to change. So for us to recover from our hurts, our habits, and our hang-ups, we need God's grace in our life. And so how do we get it? How do we get God's grace? There's really only one way he gives it to the humble. God gives his grace to those who will humble themselves before their creator. So let me close by just asking you this. What needs changing in your life? What hurt or habit or hang-up have you been trying to ignore and hoping it will just go away? For many of us, this is the hardest step. It's why it's the first step. Because when you get over this, over the, the hump, and you just admit that I have a problem, I have a need, I have a hurt in my life, it's hard for many of us because to admit it is to bring humility into our life. To admit it is to say that I'm not God and I don't have it all together. And as much as I would like everybody else to think that I have my life together, I don't have it all together. And just a newsflash, if you ever tell somebody that, like if you ever, if I go up to Jeremy and say, Jeremy, I just want you to know I don't have it all together. He's not surprised Right? We think people are going to be shocked. What? You don't have it all? What? No, they, they know. They already know. And God knows. And honestly, we know. As much as we want everybody to believe that we have it all together, we don't. So join me over these next eight weeks. It's a huge commitment in your life. But I'm imploring you that if you were to walk through this process for the next, next eight weeks, listen, it, we're going to be launching our life groups at, at the beginning of February. We're going to have life groups that are even going to go deeper into this than what we're going to go to on Sundays. You're going to have the, this isn't just like, hey, it, it, you know, we're bringing all this stuff up and past hurts and hangups and habits and all this. And we're like, yeah, good luck. No, like we're, we have people who are, are going to be in place to walk us through because we need to do this together. Sunday isn't just enough, but it's a start. And could you commit at least to the Sunday? Let's pray. Father, we are challenged by this, and I say we because it is we. There will be some in here who, who maybe disagree uh, with some of this. And I'm okay with that. What I'm not okay with is leading a church who never addresses our hurts, hangups, and habits. I'm not okay being a pastor who never admits to the congregation of my own hurts, hangups, and habits. And so although it's vulnerable, God, I pray for your covering in this place. That as a people, we would begin to, to experience wholeness and family in a safe place where we can be real. 
that our mission statement wouldn't just be something that is written on a back of a bulletin or on a card somewhere or on a wall, but that it would actually be something that we live. That when we get into life groups and we begin to do life with one another, we could be real with each other without the bomb of judgment. That we would be a people who come to a place of health and healing and wholeness in our lives. God, I pray for these next eight weeks that as they begin to uncover hurts and habits and hang-ups, God, that, that you would begin the recovery process in us, that we recognize that none of this is even possible without you in our life. And in saying that, if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with your Heavenly Father, with your Creator, that's really step number one for you. You can't even go on into these next seven weeks and and really allow God to do anything unless you have humbled yourself before your Creator and said, God, I can't do this on my own. You've got to be the leader of my life. And so... I'm just going to encourage you, if that's you, that you would just mark that on your card before, uh, before you drop it in the basket and say, would somebody contact me and talk to me about what it is to say yes to Jesus in my life? Now, for all the rest of us, I pray that you would give us the strength and the endurance to walk into freedom to walk through the process of recovery and to experience all in this life, in this world that you would have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, go ahead and come. We're gonna invite the